podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the Church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Stephanie Hubach on disability ministry. Stephanie served as Mission to North America Special Needs Ministries founding director for almost 10 years before entering Covenant Theological Seminary as a research fellow. She has authored several books on discipling those with disabilities. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2014 General Assembly. Let's listen as Stephanie teaches on transformative disability ministry. So my name is Steph Hubach. I uh, work for Mission in North America as Special Needs Ministries Director. And uh, I have a son with Down syndrome, and that's how I got into this uh, world. He's 22 now. I'll show you a couple pictures in a minute. (laughs) But uh, leading transformation in churches and systems. Let me just tell you quickly on the way through here. what I want to cover, you see my unique little setup here between the, it's a dish tray from the room. <laughs> I'm hoping this holds up for my laptop. But uh, uh, what I want to talk about um, today really is, is uh, you know, after working with dozens and dozens of churches over uh, the years, I kept asking myself, there has to be some kind of work that's been done in the area of, uh, of organizational behavior that applies to how churches actually change as, as systems. You know, I would start to, I, you know, you start to work with, different churches over time, and now they're, they're all really different, and every context is different. You started seeing similar themes, you know, similar themes of resistance, sometimes similar themes of positive change. And so I, I uh, started talking to do, uh, Dr. Tasha Chapman. She teaches um, in the Education Department at Covenant Seminary, and they had uh, just uh, uh, done a lot of work in this, with pastors in this particular area of, of work, look, helping churches to look at at their context in the, in, through the lens of systems, you know, and so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And uh, uh, disability ministry, um, I would say, as far as being, um, it's, a, it's a transformational ministry in many ways. It really uh, requires us to change um, how we think about how we have, have always done things before, right, <laughs> in the context of, of the local church. It requires us to change how we see ourselves because often one of the greatest barriers to us really effectively ministering to and alongside other people that have, uh, are affected by disability at, really comes from an inaccurate view of ourselves um, and hence affecting our view of somebody who has a disability. Um, I have some workshops on that. That's not what I'm going to get into today, but I'd be glad to talk to you about that um, at some point. Um, but I think um, if you understand that disability ministry is transformational and it requires us to change how we think about what we do and how to think about who we are, uh, then it... Um, then they recognize that what, what we'll run into is a couple of things. First is, is uh, 
it's to caution you to stop and look that the context you're working in is, is critical. Okay, context is critical, and we'll talk about that. Uh, the second one is, um, is that there are common concerns that seem to come up it, thematically ac across the church, and so how do, we, how do we address what those, identify at least what those are. Uh, third one is cultivating calm leadership. How do you have a, a calm spirit as a leader as you're leading transformational change? Uh, uh, in a church context, and then what are charting a course? What are some first steps you can take to help uh, help your church start to maneuver uh, down this path? So, uh, our purpose statement for M&A Special Needs Ministries is making the gospel, the good news is the coming of the kingdom, accessible to all in word and deed. And as I was telling my couple friends in the back, that we, you know, we, you notice they don't even have disability in our purpose statement, and it's really because it, if we um, often when you start to walk down this path of making the gospel more accessible to people with disabilities, we find in that it also makes the gospel more accessible to people in the church at large, uh, in the sense that um, if we don't recognize that, that it was our profound spiritual disability to the point of, of being dead in our trespasses, right, that caused Jesus to come and make incredible sacrifices in order to make uh, access to the Father possible for us, right, then we don't really understand the gospel, but when we do understand that that's the message of the gospel, then the small sacrifices that we make in order to make the gospel more accessible to um, somebody who ha happens to have a diagnosable disability, right? It just changes the way that we look at and practice um, um, sharing the gospel with others in the context of the local church. So, um, so anyway, that's what what our purpose is. What we um, do in terms of practice is we engage, educate, equip, and encourage PCA congregations in the whys and hows of ministering to and alongside families touched by disabilities. So we engage because a lot of times for churches it's not on the radar screen, you know, until a child's born with Downs or a child's diagnosed with autism, right, or somebody in the, in the church has a major car wreck and becomes a quadriplegic. And so, um, so this engagement piece, the, uh, educating uh, piece is really often a starting with a theological piece because uh, for Presbyterians and uh, a lot of times in evangelical world at large people are always like well just show me what to do and for Presbyterians one thing I love about Presbyterians is show me how to think about this biblically and we'll figure out <laughs> what to do and so so we spend a lot of time on theological education and how do you think biblically about disability and therefore think more accurately about ourselves uh, the equipping piece is that hand over hand piece what I actually do right when I need to adapt curriculum or when I need to to maybe build a ramp or when I need to start some kind of a um, covenant care group for a family that's in, you know, intense needs. And so all those different kinds of things that we offer in practice. So um, there are, there's a team of 10 of us, um, uh, which has switched over a little since this picture, but I'm, I'm the ministry director. I've got a full-time associate in Birmingham, Alabama. That's Joel Wallace in the back row. Got uh, a full-time assistant in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I am. And then we have six uh, regional uh, facilitators who all have different kinds of experience in disability ministry. So we're all available to you to help you walk through this process for, as it tailors to your church individually. That's a picture of my family. I have a son with Down syndrome on the left, Tim, that's 22. That's my husband, Fred, my new daughter-in-law, Cecilia, who's wonderful, and my son, Fred, on the right. So um, my, my son, my two boys are at uh, I have a book called Same Lake, Different Boat. That's one of the things that's in the gift pack if you happen to sign up for one of those. And, and so I tell a lot of uh, 
interesting intro to stories about my kids. You know, Tim's on the Down syndrome end of the spectrum, and Freddie was on the highly gifted end of the spectrum. <laughs> so it's some really interesting theological dinner conversations <laughs> in our house, and lots of interesting conversations in general in terms of how they both looked at looked at the world. And you know, Tim's a, Tim's a very articulate guy with Downs, and uh, uh, I remember one time I was I was uh, cleaning out the freezer, and I found this box of ice cream sandwiches, and I started to throw them away, and, I, and he says, well, don't throw those away. And I said, well, Tim, they're, they're old, I'm, and they're not going to taste any good. He goes, no, they're just new from a long time ago. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so I, just, that's, that's, I just love how Tim sees the world in general. You know, he just, uh, and that's one of the gifts that people with disabilities bring to the body of Christ, that, and uh, it's often the different, the different perceptions, you know, and different angles at which they'll take things that, and, and often a, um, a spiritual sensitivity sometimes that actually far exceeds, you know, my own. So anyway, that's my life experience in terms of how I got involved in this, so far as this, the content of this workshop, um, the resources I used, um, uh, I'll give credit to the bottom one. First of all, Covenant Seminary, Tasha Chapman and her crew in terms of uh, really helping me to learn to, to think about systems in terms of how we look at churches. Um, one of the books that she recommended has been very helpful, Leader's Journey, Accepting the Cult of Personal and Congregational Transformations. Very interesting book. Uh, two in the middle are two that I wrote, All Things Possible for Johnny and Friends, How to, how to um, Call Your Church Leadership to Disability Ministry, and then uh, Same Lake, Different Boat, uh, which is the one we use with all of our PCA churches. Um, which we also have a video series for that, for teaching that like in a Sunday school context or a small group context. Uh, and then Larry, Cra Larry Crabb's uh, book on encouragement, um, because as I said, engage, educate, equip, and encourage. And disability ministry is a ministry of encouragement because disability is not like cancer. You don't get to the other side of it, right? And so, it's, uh, so it really does require a lot of encouragement, not just for the families who are affected by disability, but also for ministry leaders, because it's, I always tell people, if you like closure, get into something else, <laughs> you know, because disability doesn't resolve itself in this lifetime, right? And so, you, so there's, there's some levels in which we struggle with this at, as churches, because we're not particularly good at issues of faithfulness over the long haul. You know, we're, we're much better at typically a crisis care, things that resolve, right, over some period of time. So anyway, um, okay, let's talk about context. Um, in terms of just background, in terms of context, uh, uh, disability ministry, I would just say, first of all, is primarily relational. It's very easy for people to think, you know, in terms of programs or, or rooms or, you know, or, or uh, having to have a a focused ministry leader, that these people will serve those people, right? And that, and that sometimes actually reflects a little bit more about our his, history in terms of culture than what really needs to happen in the body of Christ. And I would just really encourage you that, you know, 80% of our PCA churches are 150 people or less. You're not, not going to have a McLean Bible Church, you know, building of three stories with a multi-million dollar respite care center. I mean, that's all great stuff. You know, that's not going to be how God's going to work in your church. But often for churches that are smaller, that function more like families, you know, they more intuitively actually know how to care for and walk alongside of people um, in in their local context sometimes than churches that are bigger as well. So I just encourage you on that level. Uh, disability ministry, as I said, is also really transformational, um, and God often uses it uh, to change all of us and to change the systems within uh, which we operate. Um, the third one is really that, uh, as I said, disability ministry is a ministry um, of encouragement. So with those things as background, um, I think that the 
in terms of thinking about disability ministries transformational, I really just have to think about the idea that uh, the church is more than a collection of isolated individuals. It's really an interrelated um, system. And, and as a system, it's, it's somewhat unique in the sense that it's not only uh, a system organizationally, right, but it's also um, a spiritual organism, right, the body of Christ. And so there's always those two dimensions that you're working with when you're working with any kind of ministry, right? You, have, you work within, the, obviously, the spiritual organism of the body of Christ um, as a system, but you also have to work with the organization. And often what you're really trying to do um, is to be agents of God's transformative work in the organism, right, while still having to work within the context of an often slowly changing organization, right? And so there's this, you know, there's this tension between um, between those two aspects of, of thinking about church. Um, uh, you know, an understanding of the organization, whether it's a family or a church, um, as a system is really a necessary component for sustainable growth and change. Um, I think we have a tendency to look at uh, at isolated individuals or isolated issues and think if I could just, I, I know you've thought this before, <laughs> if I could just get around this person at church, if I could just get to this person at church, or if I could just, you know, help this family, or if I could just solve this barrier, right, then everything would be okay. And often the issues that are associated with not just, this is universal stuff, but, but the disability ministry certainly in particular are, are that there are deeper systems challenges that are going on that's, which is why you'll get to that one person or solve that one problem and still find the wall has just moved six feet, right? Six feet out. Um, so I think, uh, uh, you know, I think too when you think about systems, obviously the whole idea as Presbyterians of thinking through the context of a covenant community, right, and, the, and all the different Pauline passages on the body of Christ clearly are talking about systems kind of interrelated relationships. And um, if you look at, you know, there's lots of other examples of systems in life. I mean, engines are a system, right? You can have a, a great uh, um, um, machine in your 68 Camaro, but if the oil filter doesn't function, right, the car's not going to run it. So, so it's, so it's really, how does the, how do all the parts of an engine relate, how do all the parts of a, of a, you know, wind chime relate, and, you know, and things in nature, like geese fly together as a system, right? There are lots of things in life that work as systems, and, and it's just, for, for a lot of us, it's really learning how to, how to lose our irrational linear, you know, perspective on, on everything, and sometimes try to step back from it a little bit more and look at, at how how the system um, in a church is is uh, functioning. Okay, so with that idea, um, in terms of leadership, you know, leadership always takes place in the context of a system, right? And, and relational systems or living systems in terms of of how a group of people are are uh, uh, connecting or not connecting to each other. And the the interesting thing about that, I think, is that and you know, this all all systems have some set of um, observable rules. And the reason I say observable rules is there, is there rules by which the system operates, but not necessarily the ones that are written in the mission vision values part of the brochure, right? I mean, and you can ask uh, any, pat, any of you guys that are pastors that have been new at a church, right, how long did it take before you crossed some line of some unwritten rule, right, of that congregation or, or that your wives crossed some, <laughs> some unwritten social rule of that congregation, 
uh, there's a fellow named James Moss who writes on church culture, and he says the values, the church culture is the values by which a church operates, not necessarily the ones that are that are written down. Um, I like to say that I think church culture is like the pinch collar of a dog. Have you ever trained a dog with a pinch collar? You know, it's a little collar that, you know, they, <laughs> I had a Bernie's Mountain dog that caught her pinch collar on the dishwasher tray one time, and I didn't know it. And anyway, so as soon as she felt it pull, she pulled harder, and then it pinched harder, and then she just kind of went ballistic, but she was still attached to this entire tray of dishwasher, you know, tray, dishes in the dishwasher. She's running around the kitchen, and then, I mean, dishwasher trays hitting every cabinet. So I did this, like, slow motion dive you know, tackle thing and then unhook the dog. But I think church culture is a lot like uh, the pinch collar of a dog. You don't know it's there till you step on it, right? And disability ministry almost always will give you lots of opportunities to step on the unwritten rules <laughs> of the of the local local church. Uh, and like I said, those aren't really explicit. They're things that have to be teased out by um, observation and conversation. And that's why sometimes it's really helpful to have one of our facilitators come and work with your church because it's kind of like uh, being the frog in the kettle. You know, you can't always feel the water. It's <laughs> changing around you. So when you're in your own context, sometimes it's really hard to see what the unwritten rules are. But if you talk to somebody who's outside of that context, it's a little bit easier for them sometimes to hear and see what those things might be over time through conversation. And I think one of the most challenging things, in, uh, again, in doing church work is how often those unwritten rules are not really related to kingdom interests. And that's the, that's the bottom line of what I really want to talk about today is how often those things, and I'm not saying that church culture is a negative thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that. So let me give you an example. For example, you can have something like um, we Presbyterians like to do things decently and in order, right? I mean, that's not that's not a bad value, but when that value becomes more important, right, than making the gospel accessible to someone else or more important than the glory of God, right, then those things start to become, or more important than grace, right? <laughs> those things, when those things start to eclipse the, that, then that, then the value is becoming an idol, right? And so uh, same thing with... Um, um, you know, you can run into the same kind of issues with with music. For example, when is when is is music done well to the glory of God and a person with developmental disabilities that wants to sing in the choir? Where do those two things? Do you see what I'm saying? Where do those values, right, uh, work out together? And that's why, if you look at your pen, which is, has our website on it, um, it says equalconcern.org. And we, we take our uh, theme verse from 1 Corinthians 12:25b that says, says, showing equal concern for each other. You know, how do we as Christians in the system, right, of the body of Christ show equal concern for each other in how we live out any of the aspects of, of body life? Um, but, um, but anyway, two of the things that I think really do drive what's actually going on in the subterranean level of church life are our uh, uh, emotional maturity levels of of the congregation and its leadership and the anxiety levels in the church. And, and uh, um, this is some of the information that comes out of uh, leaders, leader's journey that I think is really helpful. <clears throat> the idea of emotional maturity is simply the ability to, to differentiate. You can connect with others but not be determined by others, so that healthy kind of uh, emotional connection with people. Um, and anxiety, of course, can can occur either, either acutely, which is, happens in response to 
real and limited time threats. So if there's a fire in the building and everybody feels a little anxious about that, that's appropriate, right? <laughs> that's, that's part of what gets you out of the building, right? So that you all survive the experience. But there's, there also can, and the issue tends to happen in, in the local church sometimes is chronic anxiety, which is sort of this underlying uh, um, subterranean fears that are related to imagined or distorted threats. And that's where the whole, in, in disability ministry in particular, um, you run into, uh, run into this. And I'll get into that in just a minute. But if you think of a picture of these two things, you have emotional maturity on the one hand, emotional spiritual maturity, I would say, on the one hand, and then also um, anxiety on the other. Think about the emotional and spiritual maturity as being the, the uh, sides of a reservoir, right? Like how big is the reservoir, the more mature emotionally and spiritually the, the leadership, the individuals, the collection of folks in that congregation are, right, in that church culture, the more water or anxiety, right, <laughs> that, the, that the church body can, can tolerate before you get overflow, right? So you can have uh, a, um, and I would say the same system issue actually applies to families affected by disability, right? You can have a fairly strong, mature, emotional, and spiritual family that can get a really, can take on a lot of water related to disability before you get the overflow. And then you can have families that have really low walls in the reservoir or churches with really low walls on the reservoir and only a small amount of water makes the dam go over the top, right? Okay, so does that picture help you? So just keep those, those two pieces in mind then as we walk, walk through this. Um, when we, um, so, so here's the idea. Think about, think about, learn to look at your church and think about systems, right, as you see challenges come up and then watch the process that's taking, taking place. So what you want to be able to do is to really um, try to look at what's happening and, and just ask the Holy Spirit to really help you to see it with clarity um, by looking, trying to step back and look at the system and not just the symptoms of what's going on. Um, like I said, uh, anxiety, of course, is the water level in the reservoir, and I think one of the things that really is uh, just the underlying challenge of disability ministry is it, brings, it just brings up a lot of anxieties for people on a whole bunch of different levels, and I'm going to just run you through a whole bunch of examples of those. Um, they both have to do with a, a personal level, um, and, and then they also have to do with a, a corporate or a system level. Um, almost all of us uh, who are the... 45 or older, had almost very little exposure to people with disabilities growing up. People with disabilities weren't really an integrated part of, of life in the culture. I mean, when I was born, kids were still being institutionalized who were born with Down syndrome. So, um, so, there, so on a personal level, there's just, just a lot of quiet anxiety <laughs> that happens with, with folks just from due to lack of, of exposure and really lack of a biblical perspective of people with disabilities in, in themselves. And then on the church culture level, uh, the same kind of thing tends to happen. And just very quickly run through, you know, four symptoms of when you're seeing chronic anxiety in a system will be, um, you'll see an increased level of conflict generally. There will be distancing, and that's the easy thing to think about when it comes to disability. Johnny Tata often says that uh, people walk wide circles around that wheelchair, <laughs> and it's actually a physical distancing uh, between people with, with disabilities and those who have, have less noticeable forms of disability. Um, over or under functioning, right? People who are like, like uh, overly involved, right? In in terms of uh, uh, a situation, and you often see this with families, right? And uh, and yet, or, or you'll see under functioning where there's no 
involvement, for example, in the local curriculum of a family affected by disability because nobody's really comfortable right, with, the, with that whole subject. So that's another example of chronic anxiety and, and then the, the whole idea of projection. So if you, um, I'm going to pass on past these. You can review these on your own. When you're thinking in systems and looking at a process that's taking place, come back to these later when you're thinking about all this. There are a bunch of different questions you can really ask yourself from a gospel perspective of, of just being a calm leader in that context. I'm going to get to some other stuff on that. This so I'm going to skip this right now. So those anxieties, what are some of the common concerns? What are some of the anxieties that raise the water level in the local church regardless of how high the walls are on your reservoir? Okay. Um, and we'll run through all these, these C's. I don't know if that actually helps you or makes it impossible to remember any of them. So anyway, <laughs> that's why I gave you a printed handout. And there are more. I just, you know, only so many you can go through. So um, first one's just categories. And I would say that, um, as I said, um, you know, uh, for a lot of people, they just say, I have no category for this, right? They have no category for this. They've a lot of pastors who have had no training in disability ministry, and they'll say, I have no category for this theologically. Uh, a lot of people, after their life experience, have not had a lot of exposure to people with disabilities. They'll say, I have no category for this. The explosion of autism in, in society today, almost everybody will tell you, I've had no category for this, right? And so, um, so there's just a... Um, uh, a uh, level of, of discomfort, I think, that comes from that. And that takes us to the second one, which is comfort and competence. You know, one of our anxieties is we like to feel comfortable and we like to feel competent. I mean, if we're really honest, that, that's really true. And and anxiety over having no category for this, right? For pastors, sometimes if I have no, if I have no category for this theologically and I haven't really thought this through, how am I supposed to preach on disability? How am I supposed to address this issue as it relates to... to uh, to anything from suffering on the part of the individual or the family or how it relates to uh, issues related to sanctity of human life. How do I preach about disabilities relates to gifts in the body of Christ? How do I do all that when I don't have a category? And so, um, um, so because of that, it really does raise the, the water of anxiety. Um, there's also the issue of professionalization in our culture. I think the general feeling is if I don't have a degree in XYZ, do you know what I mean? I'm not qualified. So I can tell you I have a degree in economics. Okay, so I have nothing to do with this as far as my background. I had a son with Downs, and so I, and I did the school of uh, parenting, right, <laughs> by which I learned what I've learned. And, um, and it's really our idols of self-reliance, self-promotion, and self-protection that get in our way on this this issue. So our anxieties really stem from deeper, um, deeper sin issues in our lives, right, that have to do with this. We really, we... Uh, um, struggle with those things. We want to be able to fix things, right? That's self-reliance. Self-protection is we don't really want to feel the pain or discomfort of others, right? And self-promotion is we uh, we really want to be able to say who comes and who goes and who, right? And so there are all sorts of levels at which we, we struggle in this area. Um, so comfort and confidence. Competence is another anxiety issue. Uh, complexity. Um, not only do we lack a category, not only do we like our comfort and our, our competence, but we, there's also a complexity that comes with, with disability. And disability has really, is really understood to have two aspects. There's a functional aspect of disability, which is a part of the body that doesn't work the way we expect it to. And then there's a relational or social aspect of disability, which is the ways our attitudes further disable people, much, much further than the impairment sometimes. And so there's a whole complexity then to 
um, to not only dealing with a particular condition and therefore how do I, right, how do I uh, adapt curriculum for a child with Down syndrome or autism or how do I include somebody with intellectual disabilities in a small group when they're 25 or how do, right, there's, there's those questions but there's also uh, the complexity of really, um, really working through not just the impairment but the the ways in which our attitudes really affect everything about how we relate to people with disabilities as well. And that raises our anxieties. Um, coordination, it's not far off from the complexity, right? It's like how do you coordinate um, the uh, inclusion of people with disabilities in body life? When you think about it, our, our churches, and this is one of the things my pastor's gonna come talk at at the ministers, uh, you know, the pastors and disability ministers pre-conference at our conference in, in November is, is rethinking the paradigm of church life. You know, we think about church as the organization, right? It's really pretty much been functioning uh, as it was set forward in, you know, the 20th century without any regard to people with disabilities really being part of that. So, so is our goal to really just try to snap open this, just a wide enough space to let somebody in and let it all snap shut around them? Or do we need to change, look at how does our system maybe need to change sometimes in order for people with disabilities to be you know, full participants in the in the body of Christ. So there's a whole uh, issue related to coordination. One of the things that we really try to encourage churches to do is um, is develop a resource team. Like I said before, we, we um, you know, it, again, it depends on the size of the church. If you have a church of 2,000 people, everything operates in silos. So your disability ministry probably by default is going to end up operating in a silo. <laughs> you know, just like children's ministry and, you know, music ministry and women's ministry and everything has its category. But um, but smaller or mid-sized churches um, often have the capacity to have a resource team. And what that group does is really to help um, the church coordinate, right, to help to do to deal with everything from developing a category, right, to developing levels of comfort and competence appropriately, you know, in the body of Christ, uh, understanding the complexity and then putting to work uh, folks in the local church who can, um, can resource every other ministry of the church in order to make the gospel accessible to people with disabilities in whatever that context is. So you have a team of people that they help your women's ministry. If you have somebody... Um, in your women's ministry who um, has uh, some type of disability that affects their participation. And you work with the youth ministry, you work with the children's ministry, you work with the music ministry, right? And so rather than having a, an area where these people serve those people, right? <laughs> this group helps the rest of the body of Christ to, to include people with disabilities and make the gospel accessible in whatever that, that context is. But it does take a lot of countercultural coordination. We Presbyterians like our, our org charts, you know, and, so, <laughs> and often we don't always speak well across categories, you know, and into each other's uh, categories, and that's one of the challenges, I think, and one of the stressors that comes in the Presbyterian context for, for disability ministry is the coordination. Another one's capacity. There's some anxiety. Um, this is an anxiety producer uh, for the fear of if we build it, will they all come? Right? That's the, <laughs> the unspoken fear of most pastors. Like, like there are thousands of people with disabilities knocking down my doors, and I'm going to be overrun with the inability to absorb all of them. <laughs> and that's that's the uh, unspoken fear um, sometimes. And uh, in other words, so the question really is: Do we really have the capacity? Um, for this, do we have the emotional capacity? Do we have the spiritual capacity? Do we have the physical capacity? And 
and I know, I know at my church, I remember when we first started our disability ministry with intentionality, we had our nice little committee meeting, and we said, wouldn't it be great if in five years we could adopt a group home? You know, and then five weeks I got a phone call from, you know, from this guy who was the head of a Mennonite disability ministry organization. He said, we're building an apartment complex two blocks down the street from your church, and we were wondering if we could just, you know, we have 12 adults with intellectual disabilities that we'd like you to be their home church. And so we're, I'm like, sure, we can do that. And I get off the phone. It's like that old commercial. I can do that. I can do that. How am I going to do that? So it's, <laughs> but I think, you know, that's what God calls us to, is to really be, to make the gospel accessible to everybody. And it, you don't get the, priv- you don't really get to do a planning phase for five years. It comes through just opening your doors and opening your heart and learning really as you go and trusting God to create the capacity, right? In your hearts, in your system in church. Um, and, um, in, in your congregation. Uh, next one is costs, which also includes the issue of liability. That, I get that question a lot, you know. Um, um, but, you know, costs come in a whole bunch of different categories, everything from um, money to time to, to resources in terms of people. Um, will cost us our financial security. We will open ourselves up to risk. And, um, you know, I guess my personal note on this would be that life isn't safe, right? <laughs> so life is risky, and and ministering to people is risky. And so, but that that doesn't mean that you have. I'm not saying you, that means you have to like blatantly open yourself up to to liability by being irresponsible. I mean, you you don't minimize liability by minimizing uh, risk, in my opinion. When you love people well you by definition, right, will minimize risk because of the things you do in order to to secure their care, right? And so rather than making your your focus self-focused, how do we protect our assets, right? Make your focus people-focused. How do we love people in our midst well, right, in terms of providing environments for children with special needs that are safe or for people who may have medical needs and thinking through what, what what is the most loving thing to do their care. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's another anxiety producer, especially for people who have executive pastors. You know, they're always the ones that go to the liability seminars. So, <laughs> so anyway, enough so about that. Okay, climate change. That's a, uh, this is another one. Is, is how will pe- the presence of people with disabilities, per- particularly often people with intellectual disabilities, how, how will that change the flavor, right, of our congregation as it is um, right now? Um, in particular, these disabilities that uh, that might rub the wrong way against those unwritten rules of church uh, church culture. Um, you know, as Presbyterians now, we're often joked as being the frozen chosen, right? And so, um, you know, so what do we do when we have a, an intellectual a person with intellectual disability that that uh, like that dances during the hymns, right? <laughs> what do we do? I mean, forbid. I mean, David did that, but <laughs> what do we do when a child with autism, right, makes noises or can't handle? How do we how do we work together as a system, right? Not to just shut that down because the anxiety level has risen so high, but how do we how do we help? And that's where you, if you have a resource team that comes in with intentionality and just doesn't react to things after they happen, but helps to lay the groundwork to help things to be successful as they happen, um, that that makes that makes a huge difference. And so um, we used to have a guy at our church. Uh, 
who passed away, but his name was his name was William. And when my kids were little, they called him William the Dancer, you know, because William was in the front row. And he, as soon as the music would start, he'd say, you know, kind of start boogieing down. <laughs> and but William was actually a very refreshing change for a bunch of staid Presbyterians in terms of of really encouraging a freedom in worship that probably a lot of us desire, but really can't just quite bring ourselves <laughs> to do at times. So, but there's that fear of climate change. How will you know, and I would just encourage you, honestly, why we, it's interesting that we do this with people with disabilities, but every time somebody new comes to, I have a diagram for this in my book, but every time somebody new comes into your social context, whatever it is, everything changes a little bit, right? I mean, that's just part of embracing somebody into any given circle, and the same thing is true with these people with disabilities. It's just the jumps tend to be a little bit larger, and so we tend to, to be more conscious of them. Um, Coercion, that's another one of those anxiety things. People, because there's been so much um, culturally in the disability rights arena, um, that sometimes there's a fear, well, somebody with disabilities is going to come in and make a lot of demands on me um, as, far as, as far as their rights go. And what I would say about that is for M&A Special Needs, we say we're not a disability rights organization. We're a bless all the body of Christ organization, you know, because uh, because people with, when churches operate without people with disabilities, it's as if the body of Christ itself is inherently disabled, right? So it's, it's missing major body parts. And so... Um, so what we really do is just really encourage grace-based ministry, you know, where people are uh, moved. Everybody gives up something, right, and, and everybody gains something, and that everybody is free to make mistakes in the process, right? So so um, you're going to minister imperfectly, right? You're going to minister to imperfect people imperfectly, and that that's just part of living out the gospel in in church life. But again, you can see how this, the fear of this, families who have been really involved in the public school system and have IEPs, you know, be maybe really well trained just by necessity of survival in the public school system to be very demanding of certain things that they need for their kids. And sometimes they just bring that with them into the church. And um, so, so again, that can create a lot of anxiety for people. But as you bring the gospel to bear on, on that tension in their lives and become trustworthy people who love their children well, that stuff can dissipate, you know, over time. Um, another another one of the coercion kind of things is sort of related to this, is the idea that we tend to look at people with disabilities as consumers of our care, right, rather in that there's some coercion for us to do that or some sort of this sucking sound, right, that comes when people would, like, they're all laughing because I'm, I'm saying what you think. Um, <laughs> it's this sucking sound that comes when people with disabilities are going to come to my church. And, and that, again, comes from a distorted view. Yes, people with disabilities often have some more noticeable needs and some very real needs. That's part of the impairment. That's part of the functional impairment. Um, but they also have, they're also people created in God's image, right, who have um, are also endowed with spiritual gifts as as people when they're believers, right? As well, so they also not only they have have natural gifts as well, but also spiritual gifts that God gives them. And and sometimes we're just so accustomed to seeing spiritual gifts through the narrow framework of the systems we're accustomed to operating in, right? So we fail to see the gifts that people with disabilities bring to the body of Christ. And so, uh, again, it's just changing the way that we not only look at people with disabilities, but ourselves. They're not just consumers of our care, right? They're also people who have um, wonderful gifts and to bring in depth of richness to the body of Christ that we would be missing otherwise. Um, Competition. This one really relates to uh, 
my background's in economics and tend to think of things in opportunity costs, and this actually essentially means to do one thing means to not do another, right? That's part of being finite, finite people with finite resources. Fortunately, we serve an infinite God, right, <laughs> who is able to multiply the loaves and the fishes, right? And, uh, but still, you know how it is in the, in, in the, in the organism of the body of Christ and in the organizational structure in particular, there's sometimes a competition between ministries and between resources and, and uh, whether it has, and it does, a lot of it has to do with shared space, right? Whether it's physical space or financial space or what's on the pecking order list space, right? And so, so these things all, again, create anxiety in the, in the church system. And that's one of the reasons we really encourage a resource team and not necessarily a separate ministry per se because a lot of times church will say, oh, we can't take on another ministry, you know, and, and it's like, you know, you don't have to take on another ministry, you just need to help everybody in all the different ministries you have, you need to resource them to make the gospel accessible to everyone, um, but again, that, can you see how all these things raise anxiety? I mean, you just feel stressed out by the time I'm done, um, <laughs> and this continuous care, this again ties in a little bit to the consumers of our care, but this is that whole idea, we don't do faithfulness well, Right, we we do the casserole. We do 60 days of grieving. We do right. I mean, we have our we have all our our unwritten rules about uh, some of those things. And um, so I love about when Jesus was really uh, hammering the Pharisees in Matthew 23:23 23, in the in the woe to you passage. You know, woe to you Pharisees. And he says, woe to you, you you uh, tie the tenth of your mint and your dough and your cumin, but you neglect the greater matters of the law: justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You know, when I would say that, it really kind of wraps up in some ways what disability ministry really is all about in terms of making the gospel accessible. You know, justice is easier to define in terms of, of what it isn't, right? Injustice is the holding down of another through the use of power in a way that's immoral or inequitable. Um, churches generally practice passive injustice, which is the holding down of another through what is, what is not done, right? Um, mercy is what... St. Gregory Nyssa says, a voluntary sorrow which enjoins itself to the suffering of another. You know, and so really just walking alongside of a family affected by disability, recognizing it doesn't end when their child graduates from high school. You know, my son Tim's 22 right now, and we're going through a whole different phase with him in terms of, of it's really affected my ministry work a lot in terms of how I do what I do because when he was in high school, I had a nice block of six to eight hours a day. Now he's home all day, every day, you know, and so... Um, there are just a lot of transitions that come in for families at that level. What do you do with parents as they're aging and they have adult children with, with significant needs that need long-term care, right? There's a whole, there's a life spectrum issues associated uh, with disability. And our deacons in particular are generally totally un, unglued from this. Do you know what I mean, <laughs> I hate to say that, but it's really true. I've seen very few churches where our deacons engage this issue at all, you know. And uh, so it's really is a challenge. Again, it's a systems thing. You know, in our systems, you know, we we have we we are not have not been well set up to address the the, the issue of continuous care and um, uh, and and the, it's the the relentlessness of it scares us really it does and it's, it raises our anxieties and so um, so what what happens when you run across all these anxieties in your church <laughs> you have a tendency to, to I think go. Uh, uh, a couple different directions. One is, is if you sort of have walked this world of disability world for a while, it can be easy to either dismiss the anxieties of other people or minimize them. And I say it's kind of like that crocodile game there that you see at the boardwalk, you know, where if you if you if you minimize or dismiss people's fears, everything's it's like hitting a crocodile, but the head will pop up in another spot, you know. 
<laughs> you'll, you'll just be playing crocodile game indefinitely. So you really do have to, to uh, understand the systems in which your church operates. What is, how big is your reservoir, right? What are the things that, of that list or other things that generate anxiety in your local, local congregation and be sensitive to those things? Um, affirm the reality of acute anxieties when they, where they exist when you have a real-time threat, like you have a kid with Downs that just went AWOL and you can't find him in the neighborhood. That is a real acute anxiety that everybody should be stressed out about at the moment. Yes, we, should we be ridden by anxiety and not be in prayerful pursuit of that child? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you're, those things, anything has like that is a, a real-time threat, of course we want to address that. But things that come from underlying chronic, these are all chronic kind of systems, anxieties that, that occur, we really have to, um, to not just minimize those, but we really have to address those with people. So we have to help them to develop a category for disability, help them to develop competence, you know, in this area and a comfort level through, through anything from exposure to education to short-term missions trips. We do a Johnny Friends family retreat, right, to, to helping train your Sunday school teachers on how to specifically include a child, right? You see, and to work with your deacons on the issue of long-term care. Does, does all that make sense? So, so, um, so I think the the important thing is that I just have to really engage those fears and not just minimize or dismiss them, because um, otherwise you just go underground. So, how do you do that in terms of what kind of calm leadership does it take? Because that's what it does take, right? Because if you become an anxious leader, you just add water to the pond, right? You add water to the reservoir, and this is why often. Um, it's really not the best thing that typically, it just depends on the family, but often it is not the best thing to have your disability ministry led by family members. Now, I'm saying that because I am one. Because <laughs> family members bring their own anxieties to the water and their own reactions to that. Now, you can have people that through their emotional or spiritual growth can get, you know, can move past that or can be, still become a calm leader in the, in the midst of things that can feel personally threatening, you know, in some ways, but, but sometimes it's really helpful to families to have folks who aren't living the life who step in to help facilitate this kind of transformation in the local church uh, because of the anxieties that, that family members sometimes can bring um, to, the, to the table. How are we doing time-wise? Okay. Um, so, you know, an effective leader really... Um, has to have enough spiritual and emotional maturity. And this is, this is what I tell you. There is, is key who you pick to help lead a resource team or a disability ministry team at your church because you want somebody, I think, with these characteristics. Um, somebody who can call the congregation to discern and pursue a shared vision of what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish in terms of making the gospel accessible to people with disabilities in your local church. Uh, you want someone who can remain connected um, with those who differ from them, so somebody that's that emotional and spiritual maturity piece of the reservoir, right? That can stay connected with people who don't who don't get it yet, right? <laughs> and, and you know what this is like in church leadership. Those of you who are pastors, you have to do this all the time. Um, and then someone who can remain a calm presence when anxiety rises in the system. Okay, so when any of these other chronic anxiety things start to, you know, the the water level rises, and as you know, it can rise very quickly sometimes. Right? If you hit the right, the right button of this, some unwritten rule of church culture, that water can come in like a, like a, a flood. So, uh, again, remembering that disability ministry is a ministry of encouragement. Um, 
in terms of being having calm leadership in this arena. Uh, I like this quote that encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. Um, transformational ministry takes time. I mean, it sounds obvious that the word transformation, I mean, butterflies may turn into something great overnight, but <laughs> lots of things take a lot more time than that. And so, um, so it does take have to be a ministry of encouragement because what is courage is really imparting encouragement is imparting courage in the face of fear, right? It's imparting courage in the face of, of a variety of different anxieties. And uh, what I just encourage you in terms of leadership, what's needed is uh, doing it from a Christ-like posture with Christ-like motives and in Christ-like ways. So let's just run through those quickly and then we'll, I'll wrap up for some questions. Christ-like posture is really being um, full of grace, right? Full of grace and, and, and um the same grace that God has shown to you and me, showing that grace to others who may be anxiety-ridden, you know, over certain things that are that they're facing in the the system of this, or they're feeling. Right? Sometimes people can't even articulate it. There's just the anxiety that people feel over over some of these different things we talked about. So, how do you show grace towards people who are who are uh, are feeling anxious in the face of transformative change? Um, speaking uh, truth to each other. Again, the, the example of of Christ and doing truth and grace, the perfect coupling of truth and grace, right? And so, um, and and doing it, serving from a servant's heart. That's again why I think if you think about a resource team that helps your church to come as a servant that serves every other ministry of the church in order to make the gospel accessible to others is really a posture of, of service. I always tell people we're not the justice police, right? <laughs> that's, the, that's the danger sometimes, again, of that's where that coercion piece comes in, the danger of the people who feel strongly about this issue can sometimes want to come in as the justice police from the top down. You need to come in as servants of Christ from your knees up, right? And so get on your knees and, and be serving others in the church in this area. And operating from a, a, a position of, of humility, and again, Jesus is a perfect example of humility. And, and the sermon last night, I thought it just hit it out of the park on that. And uh, uh, offer and offer assistance, but don't act in arrogance, right? In terms of really leading your congregation through a transformational ministry. As far as our motives for doing it, again, it comes for families affected by disability. Sometimes our motives can be really mixed. You know what I mean? Because we love our family members so much, we want to see things change for them, which can affect our posture and can affect our motives, right? And doesn't mean that God can't use that as a sanctifying thing, right, in a leader's life. I think he certainly has in mind. Um, but for our motives to truly be the glory of God, right, that, that should be the, our motive in everything. But but the reflection of his character in all that we do and say should really be our motive and, and, and um, in terms of bringing about church transformation for... Uh, making the gospel accessible to, to all. Um, love for God and others. Um, loving Christ's church, even when the system, the reservoir wo- walls are low and the water is high, right? It's still loving God's church and loving God's people um, is, is a huge uh, part of leading transformational ministry. Uh, letting the gospel uh, motivate us that... Um, that every person would know the saving reign of God, right? That they, the the coming of the kingdom in their in their lives personally, and that that would always motivate us in terms of of making the gospel accessible to others. It's very easy in disability ministry to really drift heavily into deed ministry and forget that every person's deepest need is for Christ Himself. You know, and so so really uh, staying focused in terms of our our motives of of, uh, of letting the gospel motivate us in all that we do. 
Um, and then being com- committed to advancing Christ's kingdom. I love the Wheaton motto. My son went to Wheaton College, and that, I love how it says in the, uh, for Christ and his kingdom. You know, and that, and that disability known as really needs to be for Christ and his kingdom. And, and making, uh, and remembering that God's kingdom is accessible. And that's what, I mean, it is accessible. It's simply us removing the ways that we create barriers to God's already accessible um, kingdom. And then finally, uh, really, this Christ-like methods. Um, when you're leading transformational change, um, you know, and, and, and of course, for Christ-like methods, just spend a little bit of time, just read through the Gospels in, in succession, you know, for a couple of days, and just look at the way in which... Um, Jesus genuinely listens to people. I mean, in order to peop- deal with people's fears, right, or system fears, you have to really be willing to listen to people, and it has to be safe for people to say what they're really afraid of. And a lot of times people, men in particular, usually won't tell you what they're afraid of, so you have to find some other way about, <laughs> some other way sometimes to, to find out where people's uh, discomfort lies. But, um, but really asking questions and, and really uh, seeking to understand where people are coming from, um, and, and then anticipating, like I said, anticipating anxiety. So things I gave you, like this 10 or 12 or whatever number they were of Cs, uh, really, you, you can anticipate that those things will be at some level. Some mix of those will always be, you know, tempted to raise the water level in your congregation, again, depending on what the makeup of your church culture is. Um, and so anticipate those things and try to address them in advance. The more that you address in advance, the less water you're going to have rise because you're going to be giving people the information that they need. Um, it's one diagram I like from Larry Crabb's book. Um, he talks about how true encouragement happens when love speaks to fear. And he has a lot of other diagrams about other ways that love bounces off of, you know, these other circles in here. But this one particularly, it's going, it's going past that outer shell of self-protection, right? Self, self-reliance, self-protection, self-promotion, and being able to, to speak into the fear that somebody else carries on any one of these different issues, not just personally, but systemically, you know, and you'll find this with your session. You'll, have, you'll find there are some system-related fears, and so how can you, from a posture of love, a Christ-like posture, Christ-like motivation, right, speak, um, speak into the fears that people have. And let me just give you a couple quick steps here that we can talk through in terms of charting a course. When you're really trying to help your church to move forward in this area in terms of kingdom ministry, um, pretty articulate a clear concept and for God to give you good leaders in your local church who have these kind of characteristics that I just talked about who can deal with system anxieties without adding to the water themselves, that they can help reduce the water level, right, and not be the kind of folks who, who raise it. So, but pray that to articulate a clear concept. You have to have a clear idea of what it is that, you're, that you want to accomplish Sometimes people go to their session or whatever and say, I want to start a disability ministry. And then the session members appropriately ask, what does that mean? And then they go, I don't really know. You know, so, but, <laughs> but I can say, and it, you may not know exactly what that's going to look like in your church, but I can tell you from a broad brushstroke perspective, you really do need to think this through and say, well, at a, at a, in a broad brushstroke, right, it really is about making the gospel, the good news of the coming of the kingdom, accessible to all in word and deed. How are we going to do that here at XYZ? Presbyterian Church. What are our first steps going to be so that if any person with a disability would walk through our door, right? And that's that's one issue right off the bat. Is it's not like people with disabilities are pounding down the doors of the church because they've historically generally not have great experiences, right? So, but should someone with a disability walk through the door? Is, are we making the gospel accessible so that the blind can see it, the deaf can hear it? 
people with intellectual disabilities can understand it, and those with physical disabilities could actually enter the church to hear the preaching of the word, right? That's just the word in, in uh, the gospel in word. The gospel in deed, are we making it accessible in, through justice, mercy, and faithfulness, right? And then as far as outreach, 20% of people in your community have some kind of disabling condition. If you aren't really with intentionality ready to approach people with disabilities, right off the bat, you just knocked off 20% of your community. So I tell that to church planters, that almost always gets their attention. <laughs> oh, great Scott. You know? <laughs> so uh, meet with other trusted leaders in your congregation and talk through ideas about how to get disability ministry started. You know how it is that... And, Sometimes the key leaders in your congregation are people who just really have, by virtue of their spiritual or emotional maturity, good influence. You know, good leaders, natural leaders in your church, and, and are people that can can work with teams well. Uh, think systems and watch process. Try to think. Try to think about what's going on about the emotional and spiritual maturity of my church in this situation, and where is the where is the water level rising right now, or where is it likely to rise as I introduce this next next thing. Uh, for folks who aren't on the session or aren't church leaders, you know, next thing we encourage them to do is, is meet with the leadership team of the church. Uh, know the personalities involved in, in your church leadership or on your session or in your key leaders because all that does influence the, uh, the reservoir, right? It's all part of what creates the reservoir. Under, understand uh, your church structure. There's Presbyterian systems, but every church, again, how things get done is different. Uh, keep the gospel central to your mission. I always tell people too to dovetail their. Uh, sorry, I'm on the next slide. Dovetail your disability ministry mission with your church's larger mission. Uh, my church in Africa, uh, our church mission statement is uh, making the. Go- oh, excuse me. Sorry. I'm, ding. I hadn't had my second cup of coffee yet. Is uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church exists to be a stream of God's refreshing grace to people from all walks of life, right? So it's pretty easy. That was a pretty softball one to go to my section and say. Started dis- wouldn't people with all walks of life be, right? <laughs> and so I always tell people, don't just run off in a, like some direction totally unrelated to your, your church session's vision and mission for, for what your ch- church is about, but tie in your disability ministry and how it, it's, it's integral to, to that mission of your church. Uh, communicate with real stories. Having real people with disabilities or real stories to share with your congregation is often really helpful to communicate what the need is um, again focus on the opportunities of people with disabilities not just as consumers of our care but also uh, those who um, have gifts to share as things are going along affirm what's going well that helps reduce anxiety in the system as well like really being a cheerleader for um, I think encouragement is just really the most under, underutilized gift in the body of Christ. <laughs> People will often go 100 miles on an ounce of encouragement you know and they'll shut down after an ounce of criticism so as I've said along the way, anticipate and address concerns. Uh, propose a team that serves all, that really serves the resource team. Be a leader and a learner. That's part of modeling uh, Jesus in his humility, right? For us in our finiteness, it's being uh, not only a leader but also a learner in the process, which makes it safer for other people to be learners around you as well. Uh, communicate regularly and openly. And the last one is really the idea of uh, thinking big and starting small. Um, I tell you to dream big about what God might do through your church in terms of disability ministry, but start with who you have, right? Because I think there's nothing more painful to families affected by disability than for a church to say, we're going to have a great outreach to families affected by autism, but they have a child who has profound cerebral palsy, right, and intellectual disabilities. And so, so you got to start, you need to care for your own covenant 
family first and then to see how God uses that to increase your outreach to others. So a closing quote from Tasha Chapman, which is long, but I think it's good, is the practice of leadership is growth in the art of creating a system of shared healthy urgency, mobilizing people together to learn while pursuing change and adaptive challenges. That sounds like disability ministry, <laughs> adaptive challenges, all from a framework of humility and conviction. Humility based on the mercy of God found in the gospel and conviction based on the kingdom values of the now and coming king. So I would just really encourage you to go back uh, motivated to uh, love a group of people that Jesus clearly loved uh, in his ministry and call us anytime. Um, we're, that's why we're here. We're really here to facilitate transformational change in your local church. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.